Amen. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oh, my. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been talking about relationships from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul covers a whole host of different relationships and relationship challenges that Christians have in the church, in the body of Christ. Because we never, ever want to think or let people think that because we know Jesus, we don't have problems. That because we know Jesus, we don't have issues. No, no we, we have issues. We have problems. We just have someone to help us through those problems and to give us his wisdom on how to avoid certain problems. But um, God knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. And sometimes our relationships can be more dusty than they need to be. But they don't have to stay that way. Because when the truth comes freedom comes. So today we're talking about Paul on divorce, part two. Paul on divorce, part two. Let's pray. Father, would you help me to teach your word now? And I pray that we would all have ears to hear what you have to say from your word. Lord, if we are not divorced, we know people who are divorced, who have been divorced, people who have been remarried. Um, so, Lord, help us to hear what you have to say in your word, that we may love and minister and encourage uh, family members, Lord, who have gone through some hard and difficult seasons. I'm so thankful, Lord, that uh, the Bible addresses everything, even painful things and hard things. So, Lord, help me today to speak well of what you've said in your word. And again, Lord, touch each heart. And for those, Lord, who may not, this may not be really applicable to them, I pray that they would listen for somebody else so they can be a better minister of your word when they come across people on their job, in their family, in their community who's going through divorce. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are two points I want to look at today. Uh, they won't come on the screen. Uh, the sub-points will come on the screen, but the two points are the Lord's command to the wife, and the second point is the Lord's command to the husband. So the Lord's command to the wife and the Lord's command to the husband. Last week we began with the Lord's command to the wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. And by way of review, we said last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, a wife is not to depart from her husband. That's what verse 10 says. And we said that that is the ideal, the ideal, that a wife is not to leave, to divorce, depart from her husband. Uh, when marriages go through storms, and they will go through storms, um, it's not time to pack up and run or to get out. Uh, no, no, we endure hardship. We, we go through challenges and we stay the course, we keep our word, we keep our vows. Love is more than a feeling, it's a commitment of the will, and we spent time dealing with that last week. So Paul has a word, and I'll read verse 10 to you, where he says, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. So that's the command that the Lord gives to the wife. And that's the ideal, don't leave. But then we see in verse 11, what we call an ordeal, because you have a conjunction here of contrast in verse 11, where Paul writes, but. So he says, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but. 
So the ideal. But then there can be an ordeal that can bring about verse 11 where it says, but even if she does depart. So sometimes ordeals can come that can challenge the ideal. And we talked last week about the ordeal of physical abuse and mental abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, financial abuse. There's so many different ways uh, that women can be abused in marriage, that children can be abused in marriage. And so if you weren't here last week, you might want to go listen to that. And that was not an exhaustive list, but it was just a way of saying that these things happen even in the church among Christians. And we don't want to act like it doesn't happen and play spiritual. No, these things go on. And, um, and on my Facebook page, um, if you are in an abusive situation, there are resources that I placed on my Facebook page today, uh, numbers of local agencies and institutions and shelters that you can call and reach out to um, in case you need help. Um, and again, that's difficult because there are husbands who monitor uh, wives' phone calls, who monitor um, who they contact on social media, so it's not easy for a wife in an abusive situation to get help. Uh, but we're going to do the best we can. Of course, you can call the church, and we'll do what we can to help. And I know a lot of police officers also who can help us in that situation. So don't feel like you are alone. Uh, don't think that you're the first person to go through this. Neither will you be the last. Unfortunately, this goes on, and we want to help you. Above all, God wants to help you. And so um, there are ordeals that will cause a woman to say, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. A woman can be beat down so much, so much, so much that her self-image gets lost, that who she is in Christ gets lost. But I believe that as the Lord speaks the word of God, the soul can be revived and quickened. And a woman can say, you know what, I, I'm, I want to live and not die. Um, um, I want out of this to protect myself because of this ordeal. And, um, and I've learned over the years that sometimes a bad marriage must die so that it can live again. Okay, I know we're not thinking about it living again. We just want to live ourselves and escape and flee. But sometimes it takes a marriage to die, a bad one, so that it can live again. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus talks about unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce fruit. So when a seed produces fruit, it goes through a death process. And so what we see here is there's a resurrection after death. That can be a new marriage after a bad marriage. Um, and ladies, it may take your husband losing you in order for him to truly find God for himself. Because if he's made you not only into some, someone that he controls and abuses, but he's probably made you into an idol as well in his sick and demented mind. And it may take him losing you, which means he's losing control, he's losing power so that he can have uh, to be alone with himself and come to grips with who he is and what he's done, and hopefully it will cause him to turn to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is his savior, not you. Um, and so um, you don't have to die again. Jesus already died to save him. And so it's okay if you have to save yourself, and it may be that your husband losing you will cause him to find God for real. Now, I didn't grow up in church hearing sermons like this, I heard what we're going to hear um, today when we get to Matthew 19. The ideal was focused on. The ideal. Y'all just stay together. Y'all just stay together. Y'all just stay together. Y'all just stay together. Again, that's the ideal. 
But there are exceptions to the ideal. And that's what we get into today in verse 11. I said last week, Strong Tower, that abusers hate verse 11. Abusive men hate verse 11 because it reminds the wife of the power that she has to be an individual, to fight for herself, um, to care for herself and her children. They hate this. They love verse 8, excuse me, verse 10, where it says a wife should not depart. But they wish verse 11 wasn't in the Bible where it says, but even if she does depart. So she has a choice and you can make that choice. God has given you the ability through the word to make that choice. And, and, and here's the thing. Don't let another woman guilt trip you into staying into something that they don't live in themselves. You hear me? Because everybody's threshold to tolerate pain is different. So don't let somebody say, you shouldn't leave, I didn't leave. Well, Herman isn't doing to you what Shane is doing to me, okay? So, so each heart, the Bible says, knows its own bitterness. So we pray and we bear one another's burdens. We walk with people and, and we're not going to wait until it gets so bad where the police are coming by and they're telling us of something that happened in the home that could have been avoided. No, 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 no. So, so again, I, I have to stress that, that this verse liberates women. But now those women who are getting liberated are about to get mad with me because I'm going to read the second part of verse 11. Okay, um, they're about to get mad with me. Let me say this here as a caveat. When people are going through marital storms, the last thing they want to hear is the Bible. The last thing they want to read is the Bible. Now, you should read the Bible. Uh, well, let me put it this way. People don't care what God has to say when they're going through what they're going through. Their hearts become hard, not only towards their mate, but towards God and other people who represent God. And many times the last thing they want to hear, read or get into is the word of God. So I'm giving all of us this word up front. Store it away. Read it. Study it. So that if and when, God forbid, you go through a marital storm that's so bad, you can't say no one ever told me. I didn't know what the Bible said. No, you're being held to a level of accountability now because you're being told what the Bible says. So you're without excuse if and when you go through something to say, I'm just going to do what I want to do. No, no, being a disciple, you can't pick and choose when you do what you want to do. We follow Jesus even when it gets hard. So God, what do you have to say? And again, here it is. Women love it. I'm liberated. I can leave. But Paul says something else in verse 11. I want you to read it with me. He says, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried. There it is. So if you divorce your husband for one of these reasons of abuse, okay, that the Bible doesn't specifically talk about, but you are going through it specifically. So you leave to protect yourself and your children. But that doesn't free you up to get married in every case, to get remarried to someone else in every case. Okay? Y'all see what I see, right? He says, let her remain unmarried. Why? God loves you too much, ladies, to let an abusive marriage destroy you. But he also loves the covenant of marriage too much to let you destroy it with an unsanctioned second marriage. Uh, it's real quiet. That means you're listening. <laughs> he loves you too much to let an, a bad marriage destroy you. 
but he loves the covenant of marriage too much to let you destroy it with an unsanctioned second marriage. Because rather than jumping into the arms of someone else on the rebound, God says, remain unmarried. You need to heal. <laughs> you need to be strengthened. Because if you jump from one relationship into another relationship, usually when you're on the rebound like that, you're going to pick somebody like the one you just left or worse. So God says, I'm trying to protect you. Whenever he gives us one of these commands to not do something, he's not trying to rob us of joy. He's trying to protect us from pain. And so this means that when people get out of a marriage for a reason that God doesn't directly sanction in the Bible, and I'll read that in a moment, but for these other things that are um, subjective and they're real and you have to move to protect yourself, okay? Paul says remain unmarried. The goal we're going to see in a moment is reconciliation. That's the goal. And again, it may take the husband losing you to find God and to have a new marriage again for the sake of the covenant and for the children. So we want to see a miracle. All right. So but there can't be a miracle if you go out and get married as soon as you get out of that marriage. Wait, hold on. Remain unmarried. And if you go to the judge downtown with your new man who says he won't treat you like your old man. And the judge marries y'all. Listen to this. The judge downtown cannot overrule the judge of heaven. What do I mean by that? The judge of heaven still sees you as being married, even though he allows you to be divorced under these precarious circumstances. Okay? So, 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 so hang with me. Which is why, as we'll read in the next passage, if you get married without having God's blessing, and his blessing from the church, you are now committing adultery in your second marriage. Because God still sees you as being married to the first person, even though the judge down here allowed you to be married to the second person. So this judge can't overrule that judge. Why is God doing all of this? Because he wants us to respect the covenant of marriage and not take it lightly and play with it. But too many of us treat it like a contract that we can sign and get out if we got a good enough lawyer. But God's like, this is more than a contract. It's just a covenant. And I'm involved in this covenant to bless this union. And when I keep my word, you need to keep your word. So God is serious. So, 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 wow, wow, wow. So, so, pastor, pastor, oh my goodness. So you're saying to me, if I get out of this marriage for these kind of abusive reasons... I can't get a new deal. Uh, the ideal didn't work. Went into an ordeal. Now you're telling me I can't get remarried to somebody else. No deal. Pastor, I want me a new deal. How do I get a new deal? Well, there are ways to get a new deal. Let's go to Matthew 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to get some emails this week. <laughs> Remain unmarried. Heal. Trust God. Pray for your husband, your ex-husband, to meet God, to know God. Perhaps there can be a new 
relationship, a resurrection of the relationship. But don't go out, stay unmarried. You want to get out of that? Okay, I'll help you out. But don't get into another one unless you meet these qualifications here. I'll begin in verse 1. Now it came to pass, Matthew 19, when Jesus had finished these sayings, and he's talking about forgiveness and the family, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Stop and pause. Divorce was just as much a controversial subject then as it is now. And people want to know where does the preacher, the rabbi, the pastor stand on divorce? Now, the word speaks, but we got to take each case separately. So the word speaks, but we need the spirit of God to help us to apply the standard of the word to our unique cases and circumstances. So they're coming to Jesus to test him or, in other words, to trap him. Because there were two main schools of thought among the uh, Pharisees at that time. There were two schools of thought. One was led by a rabbi named Hillel, and another was led by a rabbi named Shammai. Now, Shammai, Rabbi Shammai, he would teach his followers and his disciples uh, that if you were going through marital trouble, Shammai would say, there are no grounds for divorce whatsoever. So that's Shammai. He was very strict, um, almost legalistic. So you can't get out of marriage at all. And again, I've met Baptist preachers over the years who, I don't care what goes on in that marriage, you stay married. Okay? But then Shammai came along, I mean uh, uh, Hillel, and Hillel was a little bit more liberal, a little bit more loose with his beliefs. But his belief was so liberal where he taught his people that if your wife burns the bread, you can divorce her. So one dude, you can't get out of marriage at all. Another dude, you can get out for any reason. So you got two extremes here. Never get out for anything. Jesus, where do you stand? Because if you go to this side, we're going to get you. You go to that side, we're going to get you. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is the fear of the Lord to avoid extremes. Watch extremes. The only extreme I really want to hang on to is that Jesus is the only way to God. That the Bible is the word of God. But I don't want to make things extreme that don't need to be extreme. Somewhere God's called his people to walk in the balance. That's why we have to be careful of political extremism. Going too far to the right, going too far to the left. Somebody says it takes two wings for an airplane to fly. We need to be careful of extremes. Lord, how do we have balance? And Jesus is going to come with balance here. Look at verse 4. So they're trying to test and trap our Lord. And the Bible says, and he answered and said to them, have you not read? Stop. They want to talk about divorce. Where do you stand, Jesus? Have you not read? Why? Because when people are going through divorce and wanting a divorce, they're not reading the book. Or if they are reading it, they're reading it with a crazy slant. So Jesus says, have you not read? Why? Because the Bible is the authority. 
that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. So Jesus took them back to Genesis. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. He's done. He asked the question, Lord, where do you stand on divorce? Y'all talking about the wrong thing. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about the ideal, what God intended from the beginning and what you and your spouse intended from the beginning when y'all got married. Y'all intended that it would be until death do us part. Go back to the beginning. Go back to why you got married. Go back to why you fell in love. Ask God to soften your hardened heart. Jesus says, man, I'm not talking to y'all about divorce. I'm going to talk to y'all about marriage. So they said to him, verse 7, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? So Jesus, here you are talking about this thing, the ideal. Okay, if that's the case, why did Moses command divorce? They slick, but they're not slick enough to fool the master. He said to them in verse 8, uh, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. The word permit and command are two different words. Moses didn't command y'all to get divorced. He permitted it. Let me stop and pause. To my elders, um, you know, just pray for me as I say this. The times where ministry has gotten the hardest and where I've contemplated wanting to quit has been when I've had angry couples in front of me. And I can't help them. No one can help them. They get mad at me. They blame in me for their mess. And I'm like, I don't need this. I go somewhere else and do something. I don't need to get beat up by y'all. And I know how Moses felt. He's leading 600,000 men on foot, not counting women and children. So they have a congregation of a million. And people are in the desert and it's hot. You ain't got a lot of food or water. You're trying to get to this promised land. A trip that should have took about 35 days is now taking 40 years because of disobedience and murmuring and complaining and wars. And you come to see Moses. He's trying to lead. He's trying to deal with the enemy. He's asking God to do miracles. He's dealing with uprisings from people who come against him. And then here you come. Man, my wife burned the manna again, man. I'm ready for a new bride, man. Yeah, that would make me be like, look, here, 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 here. Let me sign this and get this to you. Man. So he's giving certificates of divorce. He's permitting it. He's not commanding it. Because hearts were hard. Now, in the wilderness, those people didn't have the spirit of God. But we have the spirit of God. They didn't. Only Moses and some of the elders and Joshua so back then, the spirit didn't rest on or in everybody. So their hearts were hard. But Jesus is saying that's still not an excuse, even though it's real. Y'all should have been asking, how do we make our hearts soft again? But Moses permitted it because y'all weren't going to drive him crazy. The man that could part the Red Sea could not make one heart soft. So I, I understand that frustration sometimes. I wish I could write a certificate of divorce and say, y'all go ahead. Y'all not going to make me crazy with y'all craziness. Y'all want to be a part? You don't care what God say? Okay, man, leave me alone. But I can't say that. 
So Moses permitted it because your hearts were hard. But then Jesus goes back in verse eight. He says, but from the beginning, it was not so. Again, can y'all go back to the beginning? The ideal, what God intended from the beginning, it wasn't so. And then here it comes, y'all. Here it comes. Verse nine. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Y'all ready to unpack this real slow? Because we, we, we like Jesus when he says stuff that we like. But when he says stuff that challenges us, whoo, I remember preaching on this many years ago in our church, and there was a lady who came, and she said, you know what, if I had heard this when we lived in California, I would not have divorced my first husband and got married to my second husband, if I'd heard what the Bible teaches. And I would say to her or anyone who may have done that to say, okay, God forgives. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin, and remarriage is not the unforgivable sin. God forgives whenever we repent. But like he told the woman, go and sin no more. I say to you, go and divorce no more. Don't jump in and out, jump in and out like you got a pogo stick. Go and divorce no more. Now that you know, okay, stay. So Jesus says, oh, here's the exception for sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea, which encompasses a wide range of sexual perversions. So each case is different. So Jesus is saying when the... The sacredness of the covenant is violated by sexual immorality. That spouse who was violated against is free to go. Now, here's the deal. So Jesus says, you're free to go. But if somebody tries to leave a marriage without that exception clause, and they get married to somebody else, Jesus said, y'all are committing adultery. Why? Because God still sees you as married to the person that you're having irreconcilable differences with. So you just can't jump and get married because if you do that, you're committing adultery in the eyes of God. And according to Paul, people who commit habitual adultery as a lifestyle do not go to heaven. Oh, boy. Not that if you commit adultery. No, if you keep committing adultery, which is proof that God is not really your Lord and Savior because you can't know him and live in sin. So that's why when Jesus finishes saying this, verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's, best, it's better not to marry. If I can only get out because of sexual immorality, man, I might as well not even get married. So Jesus set the bar high on the sanctity of marriage. Yes, there are cases where divorce comes, and he says sexual immorality, ongoing, perpetual. And here's the thing, too. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me hear the church say grace. Grace. Because although you could get a divorce because of sexual immorality, that doesn't even mean you should get a divorce. Why? Because God doesn't divorce us when we commit sexual immorality and pornography and a spiritual adultery against him. He doesn't divorce us when we go astray. He loves us into change. 
So just because someone can get out doesn't mean they should get out. But if they do get out, we are not to judge them for getting out of the marriage. Let the spirit minister to that person, male or female. I know men whose wives have been living lives of adultery. And I know men who will take them back just like that. But there are other men who can't handle that. And they say, you know, no. And vice versa. There are women who do this, uh, take their husbands back. And then there are women who say, I can't, I won't do that. That's why each of us will give an account to the Lord when we stand before him. So now what we're talking about is reverencing God, respecting God, fearing God, not playing with God or his covenant institution called marriage. Because if you don't plan to stay in it, don't you get in it. But a lot of times we marry the way we date. We date somebody, it's going good for six months, then we don't like them no more. We realize they got halitosis that's cranking, we don't want them no more. And we break up, we get back together, we go to somebody else, we break up, and we carry that habit into marriage. And as soon as it gets unpleasant, because it will get unpleasant, we're ready to go for the escape route, rat, hatch. Mm -mm. So although you can, doesn't mean you should. So Jesus says you can get a new deal if this criteria, this exception clause is there. But other than that, you don't get a new deal. Mm. Again, we're not, he's not trying to be all the way over here. You can never get divorced. You can get divorced for any and everything. Somewhere there's got to be a balance. We hold on to the ideal, but there are real ordeals that come. And although the ordeal comes, does that mean you should get out, even though you could? Some of us are called to stay. Some of us are called to leave. And here's another thing. This is why you need a pastor in a church. Because when I marry people, I stand in the place of God. Because in the Garden of Eden, God was there with Adam and Eve. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And when I stand there at an altar with a husband and with a wife, I'm standing there in the name of Jesus. I'm standing there for God. And when I join y'all together, I say what God has joined together, let nobody separate. Why? He's given the church and leaders in the church the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. So as a minister, I get to bind. Y'all are bound together. That's why you just didn't go down to the justice of the peace because there's something about you that says, I love God. I want to get married in God's house by one of God's ministers with God's people. We want to have communion and prayer and scripture reading. We want God to be the head of this marriage and relationship. It's his idea. We were created for him and by him. He saved us. It's all about Jesus. So we want the pastor to marry us. So I'll bind you. But if you want to get loosed from a bad situation, don't just leave. Come stop by the church. The same ones who bound you, we'll listen to it and examine it. And we'll say, you know what? Based on what we're hearing from both parties or one that will talk to us, let's pray with this family. Let's watch this family. Let's cover this family. And maybe in time, we'll loose this person to go free and get married again. We can loose you. That's why you don't want to jump up and be a preacher, because we're under stricter judgment. 
So when I stand before God, I got to answer for the people that I was able to bind and people I had to loose. And those are rare, but we've done it. So people can go free with God's backing behind them saying, I'm free to go. And I may not even date anybody, but if I wanted to, I could. Why? Because the church sanctioned me. I'm free. I'm loosed. But what happens? Usually when people go through, they don't want the church involved. I've seen people leave the church in marital trouble, come back two years later with a new person. Hey, I want you to meet my husband or wife. What? How come you let your boy in on this? What? Because you know we would have lovingly challenged you here. But you're going to go somewhere else and not tell the whole story to Reverend so-and-so. See, if you come from somewhere else and want us to marry you, we're going to ask questions. <laughs> okay, tell us about your first marriage. Why did it end? And there are times I'll hear some things, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry that went down, but I don't have the faith to marry you. So then they'll go to Reverend so-and-so, hey, but we all have to answer to God. So we go back to 1 Corinthians 7 as I close, man. Paul tells that woman, honey, remain unmarried. No deal for you. You can only get a new deal if there's sexual immorality that's perpetual. Not he, he, he messed up or she messed up one time. Okay. There's the letter of the law, but where's the grace of God? Forgive, reconcile, work it out. Because God wants there to be reconciliation with the husband you divorce from. That's what he wants. What a testimony. So that's the real deal. The real deal, man, is reconciliation. Next week, no, not next week, I got a guest speaker. I'll hit it fast. Secondly, the Lord's command to the husband. All right, we talked about the wife. What does he say to the husband? 1 Corinthians 7, 11. After he tells what he has to say to the wife, he says to the husband, and the husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul, where's the exception clause for the homeboy? Where, you gave her an exception. Where, where is his exception? No, he doesn't get an exception in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, he could get one in Matthew 19 if she is sexually unfaithful, living this kind of lifestyle, unrepentant. He could. Doesn't necessarily mean he should. Because Jesus is married to the backslider. Doesn't mean, you know. But in 1 Corinthians 7, she can leave for irreconcilable differences that are abusive to her. But homie, you can't leave if she is abusive towards you. Oh, wow. And you just can't leave just because you want to get a new honey. You just can't leave like that because you're tired of her. Paul does not give an exception clause for the husband. And somebody said, Pastor, that's a raw deal right there. That, that, that's a raw deal. Well, Paul is assuming that the men he's writing to are mature followers of Christ. And a mature follower of Christ will not initiate a divorce because he knows what God is capable of doing. He, he's not going to initiate. He's bound by hope. He's bound by love and he's bound by his conscience. He's not going to leave. Hosea and Gomer, she was sexually unfaithful before and during the marriage. And they stayed together. Joseph and Mary. Joseph was about to put Mary away because he thought that she was sexually unfaithful, being pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Yeah, right. 
but he loved her enough not to parade her in front of everyone to have her possibly stoned. He says, I'll put her away secretly. And while he was considering this, the angel spoke to him and said, don't you be afraid to take her as your wife. What's the point? He took her as his wife because he heard from God. And when a man hears from God not to let his wife go, not to leave his wife, even if he has quote unquote grounds, man, you do what God tells you to do. And as I mentioned earlier, um, Jesus never divorces his bride, which is us. Nothing can separate us from his love, not even our disobedience and unfaithfulness. Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. He sanctified the church by the washing of his word, and he received the church back to himself. What's the point today? Divorce isn't always the answer. Um, But for some people, it is an option. Um, It's not the unpardonable sin. He forgives. He loves. Things get hard, but don't try to do it alone. If you need help, call someone that can help you. Um, There are agencies that are there. You need to talk to your church, your elders, your elders' wives, your pastor. Get some help. Don't leave the church when things start going bad in your marriage. Um, And above all, keep your heart soft before the Lord. Let him be able to examine your heart at any time. The heart. The hardness of heart. I don't want to have my heart hard because of what you did to me. And I don't want to have my heart hard where I'm doing wrong things to you. I can't control my spouse. Holy Spirit, you control me. Soften my heart so I can forgive. Soften my heart so I can change how I'm living, being mean and nasty and irritable and surly. Lord, help my heart. Because if you have a soft heart, you have a good marriage. If you have a soft heart, you have a good marriage. Yesterday, I was going to have breakfast with one of the brothers. And I got in my car. To start it, I have a push button. And I pushed the button, and nothing happened. I pushed it again, and nothing happened. And there was a sign that came on my dash where it was talking about the battery in my remote was dead. So this is not a key kind of thing, ignition. You just get in, you press the button. But my little key thing had given up the ghost because I had been ignoring what the console was saying to me for days. Your battery dying. Your battery dying. Your battery dying. Oh, your battery dead. So I go upstairs and I grab the spare key. And I come down and say, okay, that ain't going to stop me. But the spare key didn't work because I put it in the box because the battery in it died. So both batteries dead. And here I am in this wonderful car that cannot move because a small little thing called the battery did not work. So I was like, oh, man, come on. I start pressing the button, press the button. And then it, it, it honked a little bit. So I'm trying to, like, revive it with, you know. So it starts up enough where I can start the car. Get to my breakfast with my friend. We have a great time. He hangs around to make sure it can start again. It starts, and I go straight to the dealer. 
And I go to the dealer with both of the keys and I say, uh, I need new batteries in both of these keys. I should have come a long time ago, but here I am today. And they took the keys and in five minutes, they fixed the batteries. Your heart can mess everything up. You can't function, you can't move. If your heart, if you ignore the warning signs, when God is saying, repent, forgive, when God is saying, confess, when God is saying, change, and if you ignore the warning signs, you're going to find yourself broken down with something that could have been avoided if you go to the manufacturer who made the heart and say, God, help my heart. Fix my heart. Heal my heart. I know it's a process, but it begins with me saying, help. Otherwise, you're going to be stranded, struggling, and you might not be in your own garage. You may find yourself out on the road somewhere. And I had to thank God. Lord, I'm glad I wasn't somewhere at night. Thank you. Let's stand. Each case is different. Take the word, read the word, meditate on the word, study the word. Hold the word against your situation. Ask God what he's saying of you as a wife. Ask God what he's saying of you as a husband. Get together and study and pray together. But men, love her like Christ loved the church. He didn't abuse his church. He loved his church. He didn't leave his church when his church was struggling. I know it's hard, but you said you wanted to be like Jesus, didn't you? Now's your opportunity with your wife. She's killing me. Well, the church killed Jesus. You just don't know what I'm dealing with. No, I don't, but he does. Get counsel. Go see a professional. Come to the church. We'll help you as much as we can. Get some accountability, but don't give up. Don't just try to leave your marriage. Lord, there's so much here, but I'm so glad that uh, you know how to talk not only to the corporate gathering, but to each individual. If we would only have ears to hear, I pray that you would save a marriage that's headed for divorce. I pray, Lord, that you would not only save the marriage and stop the divorce, but you would resurrect the marriage and give them a new marriage, something that what the locusts tried to eat away, Lord, that you would just restore and bless for that woman who's being abused in so many ways. Lord, speak to her heart. The same God who saw Abraham's wife after she had been beaten by Sarah, Lord, you saw Hagar and she declared that you're the God who sees You're the God who sees that wife and those children. Lord, be their strong tower, their defense. Help them through. Lord, this is a lot of stuff, but you're a lot of stuff, God. Thank you, Lord, again for your attention to our own personal lives. Would you help? Would you strengthen? Would you encourage? And again, Lord, help us to leave this place to get along with you. Help us to get along with counselors and to not try to bear this alone. We know that the enemy is real. He showed up as soon as Adam and Eve got married. 
And he is here to try to destroy and divide every home under the sound of my voice. But we're not ignorant of his devices and we rebuke him in the name of Jesus and say, you have no place in my marriage and in my family. And I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for my marriage. I'm fighting for my joy. And I'm asking God to restore what the locusts have tried to eat. I'm asking my redeemer, the one who could raise himself from the dead, to raise my dead marriage, to bring my wife back, to bring my husband back, to make him or her a brand new person in Christ. Nothing's too hard for you. We believe. Help our unbelief. And as we pray, would you do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Thank you for the power that's working in us. Lord, to you be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power in the church and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Amen. If you need to see me, you want to become a Christian, come see me. If you're a Christian, want to get baptized, come see me. If you're looking for a church home, come see me. I'll be standing right here. But first, let me put in a breath mint, and I'll see you right up here.